I don't think many of you saw this year, but 1968 was a turbulent year. It's a turbulent year in our country. It was a turbulent year uh, in my life as well. 1968 was a year of assassinations. It was a year of riots. It was a year of rebellion. It was a year of revolution. Uh, 1968 saw the death, uh, tragically, of Martin Luther King Jr., Robert Kennedy, uh, right after he won the California primary in the Democratic race to, to be nominated for president. Uh, the Chicago uh, was the, the site of the Democratic National Convention. There were protests all through that city. Uh, it was mass chaos and riots just covered this land uh, as, as people were very, very upset with, with the direction of our country. I was uh, in college. I was 18 years old in 1968. I'll let you do the math on that. You can do it really quick. Uh, and uh, I was, i never forget this day. It was um, in, in, I think it was early fall. And uh, the school that I attended, uh, there was the, the huge administrative building with classrooms on, on the uh, west side and on the, on the east side uh, through a walkway was our student union. And uh, at, at that time, there were two old buildings built really in World War II, mainly for military, that were used for classrooms as well. And I was in one of those buildings when I heard commotion uh, in the, on the walkway in between these buildings. And I went outside, and there was a guy in a bullhorn, and he was speaking at the top of his lungs. Uh, he was a member of uh, an organization called the Students for Democratic Society, SDS. And he was, he was adamant that... Uh, that things needed to change in our world. I remember listening to this, this uh, young man speak, and I was uh, sort of enthralled with what he had to say. Not enthralled, but I was really fascinated. And, and one of the things he said, I'll never forget it, he says, you all are blindly following the man. And I'm like, who's the man, right? Who's the man? You're following the man. You're, you're being manipulated by the man. Of course, the man was our culture. The man was was the, the, the whole direction of our culture. And what he was saying is that we were being manipulated somehow by, by the things that were being taught. We, we were mindless people just going through the motions, being told what to do. 1968 uh, was a pivotal year in our history and our culture. I was, like I said, 18 years old. I was a boy from a blue-collar uh, blue home. My dad worked in factories. Uh, we were church-going. We were a Midwestern family. I was a pre-med major at the Harvard of the Midwest, the University of Toledo. And uh, I was clueless. I was clueless. So I look back on that time. It was a memorable time in part because it was the first time in my life that I can remember that someone had challenged my assumptions about who I was and what I was doing. And really, I think one of the most important questions that we ask, and I continue to ask of myself, is how do I live a meaningful and fulfilling life? Who's, who's giving me this direction? What direction do I have? And how, how can it be meaningful? And how can it be fulfilling? And I think five decades later in my life, anyway, this question is still of utmost importance. I think we're here for a purpose. If you come to this church, you'll hear this statement over and over again. We are made for a purpose. I was reading recently that uh, some professor at some college, when his students 
file into his, his lecture. He says, good morning, you random collection of atoms. Isn't that a great way to be introduced uh, you know, every day? Just like, oh, greet it. There you go. I'm a random collection of atoms. No, no, we're not. There's nothing random about who you are. There's nothing random about who I am. But where do we go? How do we live our lives? We have this book, Holy Scripture. We have this faith that many, if not most of us, have embraced to take us toward that life. But, but I come here as a member of this congregation, not just to speak, but, but to attend, to be reminded. And I hope you come to be reminded, too. I, I need to be reminded and be refreshed in what's truly important. Because we're constantly being challenged directly and indirectly in what kind of life we should live by our culture, by the people around us, by all the circumstances that are happening in our lives. Hasha told us that we're in the book of Galatians. We've been in the book of Galatians for the past several weeks. Uh, and it represents, this book, as if you've come and, and heard the teaching, it, it represents really a watershed moment in the early church. This is an important period of time as, as the gospel was being proclaimed throughout the Middle East and into Europe. In Galatia, this region in modern-day Turkey was, was, a, was a region where there were, where there were churches, and, and the Apostle Paul had gone there and preached, and, and the gospel came alive in people's lives. Their lives were being transformed. And these early Galatian Christians, these men and women who, many of them now were Gentiles, they didn't come from a Jewish background, they were captivated by this Jewish Messiah, Jesus and they were under attack. And the reason Paul writes this, this book is, is their, the foundation of their faith was being attacked. Not by the old ways that they'd formerly lived, but by religious people who told them that they had to do more than just trust in Christ. Hey, Jesus is wonderful, but you've got to do more. You've got to be involved in more. You've, you, you've got to have a better, you've got a better understanding of really what your life needs to look like. So I want us to look uh, at the passage, it's in your bulletin. If you have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 8 through 20. I'm reading from the New, Amer New, New International Version, NIV. Verse 8, Galatians chapter 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to the, those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you, 
My dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. This is the word of God. So if you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. We have sermons, uh, you can go on our website and, and they're there for you. Uh, that sermon sort of encapsulated the, the gist of, of what was going on here uh, in, in this area and why Paul, the Apostle Paul was writing this book. Paul is writing to warn this church about a group of people called Judaizers, men who taught that it was Jesus plus. Yes, Jesus was important, but now there were things you had to do. And the whole, their whole focal point was, hey, we're, we are Jewish people. We've got these traditions in the Old Testament. Yes, it's great you, you're following Jesus, but now you've got to go back to the Old Testament and you've got to follow all these Old Testament laws. I, you know, I read, I read this passage, I was reading it to prepare, and I went, you know, it, it's interesting. You, you read this book casually, and you go, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not in danger of following the Old Testament laws, just in case you were wondering. I'm not, and I doubt if any of you out there are in danger either. But there's something that's seminal to this and true that I think all of us can apply, because Paul is getting to the heart of, of speaking to not just the Galatian church, but to us through the Holy Spirit as well, because there are three things that they needed to avoid. I think there are three things that we need to avoid as well. And as I read this passage, that's what comes out to me. Three things, false gods, false teaching, and false friends. So let's, let's look at the passage a little bit more closely, and we'll start with the false gods. First, first of all, it's sort of hard to read. If you have NIV, this, this is, and you read these, and you go, sometimes we don't get the tone. This is probably the most impassioned that Paul is in this letter. As you read the Greek, you, you get a sense of, of how strongly uh, he, is, he is writing these words. He feels it deeply. And the first word in this passage isn't formerly. Uh, it is, is the little Greek word Allah. And it's a, it is a, what, what the, the uh, commentators call an adversative conjunction. It, 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 it is a strong word. And, and if I could do my Jim Keller paraphrase of this passage, it's Paul saying, what in the world are you thinking? That's the way he starts this. What in the world are you doing? And as these Galatians were listening to this the first time, they heard that strength. First thing he wanted to warn them all about was false gods. He says, but now you know God and are known by God or are known by God. And then he asks this question, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? And Paul's alerting them to the fact that they should avoid at all costs going back to the things they once held as important. What do they once hold as important? To appease the gods, the gods of, of Greece, the gods of Rome. These gods that were appeased, temples were made to these gods, and it was a sacrificial system, and it was, it was a religion of appeasement. If you wanted favor with the gods, you had to sacrifice. You had to bring your sacrifice to the temple. There was an altar there, and, and it cost time, it cost money, and you had to be continually appeasing the gods just to make it. And, and Paul says, why are you going back to that sense of appeasement, that you have to do something in order to garner the gods' favor? 
And just like probably none of us are in danger of going back and, and, and living by the Old Testament law, I don't think any of us are in danger of going back to, to the Hellenic gods. I don't think anyone here is a worshiper of Zeus or, or, or those gods. But you know, there are gods in this culture. There, here are some of the gods that I have, uh, that I see in, in 2019. See, see if this list uh, is, is, is similar to what yours is. False gods of 2019. First, first false god, education. Education. Education is a good thing. But education isn't the most important thing. There are a lot of people that think, boy, if, that's, if you're going to do something good, you've, the one thing you've got to do is, is, is have good education. There's so much pressure put on our children in terms of, in terms of their education. Education's got to be there. Yes, education's good. But it's not the highest good. There's the false god of riches. More money you have, the better off you are. We've got to get as much money as we, we, as we possibly can. We are a materialistic culture, and we drive ourselves, many of us, toward wealth and the accumulation of wealth. There's the false god of true love. We live in a, in a culture that says, oh, you, you've got to find true love, and if, and if you fall out of love, you've got to look for it again. And that's going to be the most important thing. And if you find true love, that's going, to, that's going to make your life meaningful. There's the false god of instant gratification. I want to feel good. I want to feel good right now. I want to be gratified right now. And, and we are an addictive culture because of it. We are, we are a culture that, that uses things to, to, so we can feel good right away. And we'll worry about the consequences later. There's the false god of success. Oh, we're driven towards success. If you're not successful, who are you, right? Want to be successful, whatever that means in whatever context you, you interpret that. We worship the false god of better than. You can go on social media, you, you see this false god worshiped all the time. I've got a better opinion than you. I've got a better political view than you. I've got a better concept than you. It's unbelievable how, how we've made this God, uh, this whole God into, I, I need to be better than you. Even in our competitions, we've got to be winners. It's a false God of sexual freedom. Paul is saying to these believers, these gods make for bad gods. They will lead to frustration. They will lead to heartache. And they will lead to many times to self-loathing. I was talking with a, with a young man recently, and he was, we were talking about his, his life, and he, he told me, he says, I hate my job. Ever had anyone tell you that? I hate my job. I mean, he just went, I, I hate it. I hate my job. And he told me a little about it, and I sort of understood why. It wasn't, you know, some things are really hard about his job. And, I, you know, I just I asked him, well, why don't you quit your job. Isn't that a logical question? I mean, why wouldn't you quit? And he, you know, he hemmed and hawed a little bit. And it was man to man. And, you know, men talk like this. I go, how much do you make in your job? That's what I wanted to know. And he said, well, depending on the year, between three hundred dollars and $450,000 a year. So um, on the outside, I went, huh? On the inside, I'm going, whoa, on the inside, you know, how do you live on that, right? Right? 
And I said, oh. And then I said to him, oh, I, I understand. You know what it is? It's golden handcuffs is what it is. Got to keep going. Man, that's a lot of money. Golden handcuffs, false gods. I was talking with an older woman recently. She's a good friend and, and um, going through some hard times. And she's, she's a believer in Jesus, been a believer most of her adult life. She's struggling. She's struggling with uh, an addiction to alcohol. By her own admission. She says, I just drink too much. She says, I'm just, life's been hard, and I, you know, I've got a time in the day that I look forward to, and every, that time hits, and I'm, I'm, I start drinking. And, uh, and, uh, and it's, it's a problem. And we talked, and we talked, and, and, and I, I looked at her, and I said, well, you know better, don't you? She said, I do. I said, why, why would you go back? Why would you go back to the false gods? We're working through the things that are in her way, that, that are keeping her in that, in that pattern and trying to break it. Those are false gods. Paul says to you and to me, watch out for the false gods. He goes on to, to, to warn them about this false teaching. He says, you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. What's he talking about? He's talking about the, the Old Testament law, the, 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 the Jewish people, they had, they had the Sabbath uh, that they, they observed, and, and uh, we do a form of that as Christians today. It's, a, it's a basically a good thing, but it became very legalistic, and it was taught in a very legalistic way. And then they, they just didn't have... Have, have days, but they had months. They had, they had festivals every month. They had seasons that, that they had special events, religious events, years. Every seventh year was, was, was a Sabbath year, and they had rules for that. And these young Gentile, these baby Gentile Christians were now being told, you got to do this as well. You're really going to be committed. You're really going to be the kind of Christian you need to be. The one, you're going to follow God. You've got to do these things as well. Paul says, I fear for you that somehow I wasted my efforts on you. He's being sarcastic here, but he's being very impassioned. This was the work of the Judaizers, men who said it was Jesus plus. You've got you to you, you follow Jesus, but it's Jesus plus. Watch out, Paul says, watch out for false teaching. I grew up in a pretty conservative home, um, church going home, but it was a little bit legalistic. My, my home growing up, we were taught that good Christians didn't smoke, they didn't drink, they didn't dance, and they didn't go to movies. That's, and if you did that, you were compromising your witness, and, and we were taught that over and over again. Um, <clears throat> I had some Baptist friends who, who didn't talk about sex because they were afraid it would lead to dancing, really, and uh, that's sort of the way it went. Um, it didn't take. It didn't take. That, those things are, you know, obviously it's good to, to, to do things in moderation. And obviously it's good to, to avoid things that are going to take you away from God. But you don't do those things to make yourself better. You don't do those things to make yourself more acceptable to God. So again, in my adult years, I, I've, I found some other false teachings that, that sort of sometimes run in and out of our faith as, as believers. Uh, here's a false teaching. God wants you wealthy. That's a, that's a false teaching. That's taught a lot 
in, in some churches. God wants you wealthy. And all you have to do, we're told by many, is you have to give some money away. You give some money away and you, you'll get more money back. That's the way it works, right? It's a false teaching. God wants you healthy. There's another false teaching. I know, please don't, I, I said in teach team, don't email me, but I guess you don't say email me anymore. Don't at me is what I'm supposed to say. Don't <laughs> at me. These are mine. They don't have to be yours, but these are things that, that I've seen. God wants you healthy. I think, I think God wants many times us to be healed and experience healing, but I'm telling you, God doesn't always want me healthy physically. He allows me to go through seasons where, where my health is compromised. Paul, in this letter, tells tells them, Paul has a thorn in the flesh, most likely his eye. Eyes, eyesight was compromised. I, scholars just surmised that he probably had a severe attack of ophthalmia during this time, and, and the Galatian church, he didn't plan on, on staying there and preaching, but he, he was incapacitated, so he preached the gospel to them as they took care of him. Paul had health problems all of his life. He traveled with a doctor. The beloved physician, Luke, traveled with him because of it. God doesn't want us always to be healthy. But we're told some, by, by some that if you have enough faith, it'll get you there. You have to believe hard enough. Yes, it's good to have faith, and it's good to see God heal. But he doesn't always do it the same way, and he doesn't always do it in the way that we want. Another false teaching is God, this is, this, is, this is one that really gets me, God wants you happy. That is a false teaching. God, God wants so much more for us than just to be happy. Happiness is good. But there are times when I, that's not my highest good. The main essence of these false teachings is Jesus isn't enough. He's just not enough. And that's not true. God wants me happy. What, what if happiness were the highest priority for children as they grew up? What if, what if the, the highest priority for parents was to make their children happy? Think about what that would look like. You want more FaceTime, kids? Have at it. You don't want to do your homework? Ha don't do your homework. We want you happy, right? Be happy. You don't want to eat that? Oh, don't eat it. Be happy. Can you imagine what that would turn out to be? Be awful. It would be people that would just be so consumed with themselves they wouldn't think of other people at all. That's, that's not a high good. They did a study at the University of Minnesota on parenting and, and their four quadrants, authorita authoritative, authoritarian, permissive, and neglectful. And, and the, the, the two factors in there were, were high, high, high love and high limits. And those, with, with those parents who had standards or rules in the family, but high love were author, authoritative. That was considered by these social scientists, not religious at all, but by social scientists as being the most effective parenting. And if you had not very much love, but a bunch of rules, you were author, authoritarian, uh, authoritarian uh, not so great. If you loved them a lot, but no rules, you were permissive, not so great. You know what the most damaging quadrant was the neglectful, no love, no limits. Being happy is wonderful. I, you know, I, I love being happy, but that's not God's highest good. That's, 
I have people look at me all the time. I think God wants me to ha be happy. And I want to say back, I don't know. I don't know. What false teachings are you drawn to? False, false gods, false teaching, and then lastly, false friends. And Paul talks in a very friend-oriented way in this passage. He says, as you know, it's because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. You welcomed me as if I were an angel of God. Those people, he's talking about the Judaizers, those people who are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for, get this, so that you may have zeal for them. Not God, for them. What false friends do is interesting. What, where are your friends taking you? There's the question. I've had friends in my life that tell you want to, what you want to hear friends. You have, you have to tell you what you want to hear friends. You have those friends. I, I love those friends because they tell me what I want to hear, right? They're really friends. We, Simon and Garfunkel said it. Man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. You can always find friends like that. Is that really a friend? Or the controlling friend, the do it my way, or I'll leave, that kind of friend? Or the let the good times roll friend? I had those in college. Let the good times roll. Hard times come, those friends are hardly there. My daughter uh, was very ill her senior year of high school, and um, we went through a very, very long and drawn out six month period where her health was compromised, operations were done, it was, it was not a fun time. And you know, during those times you find out, okay, who, who are the people who really are gonna be there and who are really gonna make a difference? And we had wonderful people praying and people were kind, but there were, there were special people that were the, the friends that got it. And one of those people was, was uh, the man who was best man in my wedding, his name was Doug. He's, he's no longer living. He died in 2004. I miss him greatly. Doug had had a uh, lung transplant because of a, a chronic disease he had, and uh, he'd gone through just a lot of struggles. And when our daughter was going through her physical struggles, Doug was the one who got it. And from his home in Oregon to our home in Florida, he would send emails, and we would just wait for Doug's emails. Because Doug was the kind of friend who, who would say, okay, I know what you're going through. And he would identify, and he would, he would, he would tell us truth, and then he'd lead us back to the God who could comfort us at that time. Who are you spending time with? Who's speaking into your life? Paul's saying to these people, you, you've got people coming to you. They don't, want, they don't care for you. They, they want your zeal for them. They want to control your life. Watch out for false friends. Sorry to say, my college experience was a steady spiral downhill spiritually. I, I confess that to you. It just wasn't a real great time in my life spiritually. And there was one part of the message from that, that students from Democratic Society Radical that was true. It really was. I was serving false gods. And my whole college experience, I, I went from one God to the next, and they all proved to be insufficient. 
God was gracious enough to send a Paul to me my last year of college. His name was Russ. And Russ invited me into a Bible study, and I had just started to turn the corner a little bit spiritually, but he came across. He came into my life at, at the most critical time. Russ delivered the message of what it means to really walk with God. And then there was a little group of, of us, four of us students. And these men, dear friends, they lived out their lives in the beauty of God's grace and love. But I still have to come here to be reminded. I still have to open this book to be reminded. I still have to worship in a way that focuses me on what God has done for me, as we've done tonight. Reminded that I should never go back to my false gods, as alluring as they might be. Reminded that I should never listen to false teaching, the teaching that says it has to be Jesus plus some other thing that I need to do or see in order to be a cut above, better than. Reminded that I cannot listen to false friends, people who would take me away from the one who gave his life for me and the one whom I really, truly love. So how do we live a meaningful and fulfilling life? Don't let, don't let the man manipulate you. Don't let the spirit of this age manipulate you. Don't let the father of lies manipulate you. Let the Son of Man, Jesus, Messiah, fill you full of his grace and full of his life. Let's pray. Lord, allow us this evening to see you and to see you in a way that would cause us to move toward you. Lord, I pray for myself, each person here. You would allow us to see the things in our lives that are, that are false, things that are leading us away from you, false gods, things that we've put in our life that, that we think are going to fulfill us, but really do not, not, not in and of themselves. And I pray that we wouldn't do a Jesus plus life, that we would just focus on you and that as we are obedient to you and what you've called us to, that we would see that you, you, you alone are sufficient for us. And Lord, graciously give us and, and give us the ability to, to find those around us who will lead us into a deeper walk with you, who will challenge us when we need to be challenged, who will love us when we need to be loved, forgive us when we need to be forgiven. Lord, we thank you that you have provided this body in part to be that for us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the life that you gave for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.